Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of the Championship Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, James Vickers. You can find me on my Twitter page, which is at underscore James Vickers, where I tweet mainly about Preston North End, the Championship in general, and also the Bundesliga. Um, And you can also follow the uh, new Twitter account for the show, which is at Championship Pod. Hi, uh, I'm Lewis Hobbs, and I represent Sheffield United on the podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at at underscore LH9 underscore. Hi, I'm Russ Golden. I'm the host of Cottage Talk, a podcast about Fulham Football Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Russ underscore Goldman and also the Twitter account for the podcast, which is simply Cottage Talk. Yeah, cheers for joining me today, guys. It's been another sort of wild weekend in the uh, the championship. Um, I'll pass it over to you, Russ, if you want to take us through the results and then we'll sort of have a discussion about, obviously, surprise results of the weekend, which teams have done well and which teams have sort of fell off the boil a bit. Okay, well, I'll go through them right now. Let's start with Millwall beating Birmingham City. Then you have uh, Burton and uh, Nottingham Forest playing a nil-nil draw. After that, we have Cardiff upsetting, and I'm going to call a little bit of an upset, Middlesbrough 1-0, even though that they are higher up in the league and currently second. I, I see this match as a little bit of a surprise. Then you have Fulham's victory against Aston Villa 2-0 at Craven Cottage, followed by... Preston North End getting a point against Wolves down a man. Very impressive 1-1 draw. Then you have QPR's 2-0 victory against Bolton at home. Followed by Brentford beating Sunderland on the road 2-0. And you have Norwich City and Ipswich Town playing today in a crazy 1-1 draw. Definitely want both of your thoughts on that match. I watched it. A very interesting ending to that match. Of course, the same thing can be said about Leeds United at home. With the 2-2 draw against Bristol City, Bristol City were up 2-0, and Leeds United came back strong to get two weight goals and honestly could have won that match. I, I watched the last two matches, so I can share my thoughts on that. But, James, I'm going to start with you. Which match was the surprise one for you this week? I think the surprise one, and probably it'd be one that not many people go for. I think, first of all, the, the Bristol and Leeds result. Um, for Bristol to throw away that two-goal lead against Leeds, who over recent weeks have sort of fallen off a bit, and you sort of see Bristol go 2-0 up dead early on, and you think, you know, here you go, it's Leeds' season that they've had for the last three or four seasons, where they've sort of promised so much up to Christmas and then just started to fall away. So for Bristol to let that slip and Leeds to get back into it, you know, really does sort of give the new Leeds manager Heckenbottom a lot of confidence sort of to take from that game sort of the way they fought and dug back into it and managed to get the point. Um so that'd be sort of one of the surprise results that I'd go for. The and it's not necessarily a surprise result. I'd well, want to get your thoughts as well, Russ, on the, the Fulham win yesterday against Villa. Um sure. probably apart from Wolves, the two sort of form teams in in the division at the moment and 
obviously Wolves had a uh, Wolves uh, Villa had a few injury problems, but you know you can only beat what's in front of you. And I thought Fulham were fantastic yesterday. Ryan Sessegnon, I think every time we get you on the podcast, it seems <laughs> to be the same questions that we ask you, and sort of giving the praise to Ryan Sessegnon. But he was fantastic again yesterday. Obviously got another goal, and I think now it's really a case of you're the team with the momentum. We see it so often in the Championship that a team sort of comes from lower in the table and puts a real run together. And I think that's what you've managed to do so far. So how would you sort of see the rest of the season panning out for you? It's very interesting. uh, With the matches coming up, we play so many teams around us in the next uh, five matches. So we're going to learn even more about Fulham Football Club. Obviously got to a really good start by beating Aston Villa at home. And uh, what's interesting about this is that... uh, the first half was very even. I, I think that uh, is fair to say, but the second half we basically took it over and just uh, finally got into our groove, scored a goal, got a fortuitous second goal, and then just after that it was all over at that point, and we were pushing for the third. What What is interesting about watching Fulham in this match is that I saw something that I wanted to see. I wanted to see if they could – up in a notch, up a gear, and they actually did against Aston Villa. They rose to the occasion against a very good side. Yes, they were down a few key players, Jack Grealish, and, of course, Albert Adoma, two players that I feared going into this match. But still, you have to play against a team that is in front of you, and it's still a very talented team that really frustrated Fulham in the first half. And to find a way to win, and I say that often, that's what they're doing this season is – uh impressive and this was a different way they dominated the play in the second half they always dominate the ball but it was really their movement and their relentlessness to get the two goals and then look for the third which they never got but it was just the intent by foam that uh, makes me feel that we're going to be in this to the end will we end up second I don't know but I think uh, we're going to learn a great deal in the next few matches if they can severely contend for a second. I don't want to go there yet because I want to see how the results happen in the next few matches. But it was a good start to these um, really difficult six matches for Fulham. So I guess you could say I'm a little happy, James. Yeah, definitely. I think you're the team sort of with the form behind you at the moment, beating Villa, who are a team right around you. You know, it's sort of getting to the stage of the season now where we start to sort of use the old cliche of six-pointers. And as you mentioned, you've got quite a few coming up over the next few weeks, similar to Preston. I think we play everyone around us at home, which, you know, for us is fantastic. Um, And hopefully we can get the crowd behind us and sort of, like yourselves, push on. Um, Who would you, uh, Lewis, as sort of, pick as your surprise or sort of most impressive results of the weekend? Yeah, um, I'd probably stick with both of your choices as both of your teams. I think with the Preston Wolves game, obviously a a big game for both clubs. Wolves obviously want to keep their momentum going with a team knocking on the doors of the top six. And I listened to the game on the radio and the impression what I got from that is that you, you piled on the pressure for the full 90 minutes against what is the best team in the league, which is something you haven't really seen much this season. And against that Wolves defence, which has been so solid and not being able, with not many teams being able to get past it, it's just it's nice and refreshing to see a team just having constant pressure on, on, on Wolves and, and just to show that they're not invincible. And I do think 
yeah, it was a sending off for me. And I think it were just two silly yellow cards, which may bet the second may not have been um, a yellow, um, a red card. Um, sorry, um, a, a yellow card. But in that situation, I think you had to give it with um, him repeating offences. But yeah, I think if you could have kept 11 men on, I know it's a, it's a cliche and it's maybe a stupid thing to say. But um, if you would have kept that 11th man, I maybe you could have held the game off and maybe got that victory. Yeah, I was just going to say, I completely agree with you there. We, um, I think what was sort of impressive, and it's sort of not surprised me, but it's nice to see that Alex Neal's sort of learning as a manager was when we played Wolves earlier in the season, we went 3-0 down with about 20 minutes to go. And for that last 20 minutes, it was a case of sort of playing without fear. We knew we were sort of very unlikely to get anything out of the game. And when we actually took the game to Wolves for the last sort of 20 minutes, we got two goals back and nearly nearly knit to point at the end of the game. So going into yesterday, it was more of the same, really. And we carried on from that game at Molyneux. And when we were speaking to Thomas, who's the Wolves fan who comes on the podcast last week, he said that, you know, they've not really been a team this season to to take the game to the opposition, which sort of sounds strange considering they're so far clear at the top. But he said they're more suited to teams coming on to them and counter-attacking, which even though they've been winning, is why they've only won by sort of the odd goals sort of here and there. And they haven't really, you know, been a team to put sort of fours and fives past other teams. So sort of hearing that from him filled me with a little bit of confidence going into the game. And, you know, from the first minute we were in their faces, we didn't let them settle, which when they bring sort of five and a half thousand fans, it, you know, they made a lot of noise and it was almost like a home game for them in the first half. They, but what was impressive, as I said, we, we kept them off the ball. We disrupted play. And I know, and it looks like we are sort of a, quite a physical and sort of rough team going off the disciplinary records this season. We're sort of well clear in that table. It's it's more a case of sort of pressing high, um, that kind of thing, you know, not letting teams settle. And you're always going to pick up sort of yellow cards for getting in teams' faces. There's no sort of real malicious challenges going in. Um, and to go on to your point, Louis, I think there's a lot of Preston fans. I saw it divided opinions on Twitter about the sending off. I'm firmly in the camp that the first one, definitely a yellow card. You know, he's late on the tackle, fair enough. Uh, even if it's a genuine attempt to win the ball, you know, you're always going to get a yellow for that tackle. The second one, you know, there's covering defenders. He's halfway inside his own half. I think Welsh, with the experience he's got and not necessarily knowing sort of the player that he's going in for a tackle against, I think that shouldn't be taken into consideration. But he didn't need to make the tackle. It's sort of a bit of stupidity on his part. And maybe it's a case of, you know, he's getting on now and, you know, him losing that sort of extra yard of pace that he used to have and, you know, late into the tackle, even though there was sort of very minimal contact. You know, the angle the referee's at, it's always going to be a yellow card. So no complaints really from me um, about sort of the sending off. But what was great to see from us is even after the sending off, you know, we still kept taking the game to them. Granted, they got back into it straight away, but, you know, we could have sat back and, and sort of tried to sort of hold on for the last half hour, and we didn't do that, and it was a fantastic game of football. Alan Brown, again, absolutely fantastic. I'm sort of, sound like a stuck record recently on the podcast, but, you know, his last four matches, he's got man and a match in all four of them, which, you know, speaks volumes for about how good he's been. Um, and he really ran the show yesterday, took his goal fantastically well. And, you know, if we don't get promoted this season, I think we're going to really struggle to keep hold of him in the summer because he's definitely someone who I can see playing for a, 
sort of a top one or two championship team, if not a Premier League team. Um, but just to go back to you, Russ, obviously, um, I think you wanted to sort of talk about sort of best win of the weekend. Or Yes, I, I yeah. definitely did. Uh, and I should have started off that. We, we call that a Goldman on Cottage Talk where I, I make a mistake. So th- there was my <laughs> mistake. I should have asked for best win to begin our discussion here. And the reason why I wanted to go back to this, because I wanted to, one, clarify my thoughts on uh, Cardiff City beating Middlesbrough, because I said that it was, a, I guess you could say, a surprise. Well, I guess you could say it was a surprise to me, not where Cardiff City is in the league. It's just that I happen to rate Middlesbrough extremely high, and I just think that they are not firing on all cylinders. And I think, talent-wise, I think Middlesbrough is the better team. So I was surprised by the result because I, I keep seeing Cardiff City winning. I personally think Middlesbrough is the better team, but... Uh, the uh, table doesn't lie. Cardiff City is where they are. And th- to me, that's an impressive win because Middlesbrough is a very talented side. So I'm, I'm not going to even talk about my match as being the best match of the weekend because I think that's obvious for me. But if I'm looking beyond that, I have to talk about Cardiff City getting an impressive victory. I know it's at home because I rate very highly Middlesbrough, James. Yeah, definitely. I think the thing with Cardiff that's sort of, taken me by surprise last season they seem to be how reading were last season yeah so not that's the a best great, that's a great comparison yeah they're, they're not the best footballing team when we played them um at cardiff just before christmas um, and we managed to sneak a win in the last minute there were sort of obviously every team can have an off day and you know i've seen sort of not a lot of them this season but they they sort of strike me as a team that may not necessarily play well. They don't have the best squad in the league, but they find a way to sort of grind out wins. And I think that's down to sort of the experience of Neil Warnock, whereas you've got Middlesbrough, fantastic squad. On their day, they can probably beat anyone in the league with the exception of maybe Wolves. Um, But the thing with them is, you know, all those players are real sort of of confidence and form players. So if you've got one or two of them not, sort of playing to the best of their ability. I think they're going to struggle, which I think is why we've seen them being so inconsistent this season. They'll get sort of one or two really good victories and then as their home form shown, you know, go and sort of drop points against the team in the lower half of the table at home. And it's been sort of a very stop-start season for Middlesbrough. So even though, um, obviously, you'd fancy Cardiff, I do think that was a surprise win. Yeah, that's Um, the way I was looking at it, James. Definitely, yeah. In, in my mind, if I look at the two teams, I think that Middlesbrough is the better side. But you brought up a great comparison to Reading. That's why when you said that, I was like, okay, now it all clicks in what I was trying to say. Because uh, it's not, you know, and again, it, uh, I'm glad that you brought up Warnock. Uh, th- this is a team that is playing for their manager and is uh, disciplined into what he wants them to do. Uh, I'm not a fan of Warnock's at all. But he's getting the results, and that's the bottom line. I just look at Middlesbrough, and I just think that they are underachieving, and I think you mentioned some of the reasons why. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, as I said, I think the thing with Middlesbrough, they've got fantastic individual players. It's just getting them to play as a team. Um, And I do think sort of given sort of how Tony Pulis has come in, they have been a bit hit and miss. I think if he gets a real sort of, good pre-season under his belt for next season with them, you know, can add a little bit of not necessarily talent, but players who know the division experience in there um, sort of to fit in and around all these attacking players that they do have. I think next season you could see them as sort of a real force to be reckoned with in the division. Um, 
Yeah, and to go away from a team that, you know, is doing well in, in Cardiff to go to a team that is really struggling. Obviously, Sunderland getting beat again by Brentford. You know, we, we talked last week on the podcast about how potentially, you know, coming back in the dramatic fashion that they did and getting the draw against against Bristol could have been the start of them turning the corner and, you know, putting a little run together. But they went back to sort of true to form yesterday. Really disappointing um, first half, especially from them. I don't know, Russ, if you've seen Chris Coleman's uh, post-match interview where... I haven't. Basically, he says... They're absolutely fine Monday to Friday in training. Um, and then they just don't bring it into the weekend. So basically, you know, he, he sort of hung them out to dry a little, which, you know, when you're down at the bottom of the league, it's the last thing you want. Um, right. And it seems like there's real problems that we sort of noted with Sunderland this season. Do you see them going down because they're starting to be cut adrift a little now? Or how how do you see the rest of their season playing out? Oh, I hope not. Uh Two former uh, full men are are in charge up there. You have Chris Coleman and, of course, Kit Simons, his assistant. So I hope it doesn't happen, honestly. But uh, they are struggling. And when you say that, I was not aware of those comments from Chris Coleman. I I wish he didn't say that because uh, I think at this point you need to uh, galvanize your team, and uh, that can be taken the wrong way by his players. And uh, that probably wasn't the best thing to say, honestly. I think they're struggling. I think he's showing their frustration, his frustration along with the players. And uh, I think it's going to go down the wire. But but the interesting thing about the bottom of the league, there are so many teams close. They still have time to figure it out. But uh, they're going to have to figure it out real soon. I, I, I think at this point you'd have to say that they're favorites to go down. And I don't want to see that happen. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, there's real problems there, which we've seen all season, you know, uh, getting Grayson in and then sacking him halfway through the season hasn't helped. Um, and I do think, you know, the, the comments that Coleman made sort of hanging his players out to dry a little. That's, that's sort of the last good. thing. Yeah, it's the last thing you want when you're down at the bottom. You need that yeah. solidarity. And I do think that even if they can start to turn it around, you know, I think they're four points adrift now from uh, safety. And, you know, the games are sort of running out very quickly for them. So if they are going to sort of put a run together and survive, they need to start doing it sooner rather than later. So it'd be a shame to see them go down. But as 
sort of happened with Preston a few years ago when we dropped into League One. It was sort of a good chance, you know, clear out all the rubbish at the club and sort of rebuild. So I think even if they do go down, I think it could almost be a blessing in disguise for Sunderland that they can sort of clear out the people on high wages, you know. Well, James, it happened to Wolves. Yeah, definitely. Great example. And look how they rebounded. Yeah, definitely. Perfect example there. Um, You know, they drop down, get rid of the players who maybe are a problem in the dressing room, that kind of thing, and come back and then they have a real solid base to go again then in the championship. So, you know, it's going to be interesting seeing them over the last sort of third of the season and, you know, sort of Sunderland, one of the bigger clubs in the division, it'd be a shame to see them go down, but you know, you're only as good as sort of the last game you played. So on current form, they uh, they look to be in real trouble. Um, what would be your sort of thoughts on that, Lewis? Well, especially with like the club size of Sunderland, this ain't this isn't just like a club a club like such as like Barnsley or so getting up and then dropping straight back down. This is Sunderland. They're they're filling their stadium nearly forty thousand every week in week out. So it's it'd be a really shock to see them in League One, but. It's not the first time we've seen it. You, we've in the past like decade, we've seen clubs like Wigan going down and, and they're struggling to get. They've come down from the Premiership, gone down to League One, come back up, gone straight down. And these are big clubs, which is happening to clubs like even Fulham. They a, a solid Premier League team, being in the Premier League for God knows how many years, and and they took that drop and then struggled quite to get back up. Yep. But I think I think with especially Sunderland. You talked about those um, those players on the high wages. This isn't just any a small problem. They've they've dropped down into the league, and you've got players like Jack Rodwell, who I think is on something insane, like fifty five grand a week, and he was unwilling to take a pay cut once dropping down when other players did take a pay cut. So surely, surely, just things like that must take an impact on the entire squad morale when you That's you're willing point. to take. A you're willing to take a pay cut and there's a, a player in that locker room not willing to play for the club, just practically just sitting there and just taking the club's money. And especially when Sunderland, they're in some serious financial trouble and like their owners and chairman, they're seriously not helping the club out. And maybe if they did go down to League One, it may be a blessing because a lot of their, a lot of these big money players are only on one, um, one year have only got one year left on the contract, so they would be able to scrap a lot of them, bring in some new players on that wage bill. But it it, it wouldn't be nice to see, but we'll only have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, definitely. I think you sort of touched on it there, and me and Russ were chatting off air earlier today, and one of the topics we wanted to talk about was you see so many relegated teams from the Premier League coming down into the Championship that many sort of experts tip to go straight back up. And, you know, we've seen with Sunderland, Villa, for example, that it's not the case. Do you think there's a sort of a sense of relegated teams from the Premiership expecting, especially with their players, you know, they're on big money, expecting to literally come down to the Championship and, you know, they take it a little lightly or not seriously and expect to go straight back up? Is there sort of an underlying factor why we see so many teams struggle. Um, we'll go to you first on this, Russ, because it was your point that you wanted to talk about. Well, it's funny because I, I talked about this on Cottage Talk to uh, the host of the whole cast, an Aston Villa podcast. His name's James Rushton, and this is something that we were talking about, both of our clubs. Do we respect the league when we came down? And I don't think we respected it en- enough, and, and he was 
on the same wavelength with me that we just didn't realize what it was all about. We're talking about as fans. Can we say that about the players and the coaches? I don't know, but it just seemed that there was this feeling that, and I can say this for Fulham, that we were just going to go straight back up, that we're going to go straight back up. We have the the parachute payments. We're going to be fine. We're going to go straight back up. Aston Villa, I think, had a similar situation. We dealt with a a relegation battle, I want to say, for for the first two seasons pretty much. And um, you find that respect very quickly. And we both talked about that when teams get relegated, they expect to come straight back up. They Everyone expects to be Newcastle United. Not everyone is. And uh, I think what you need to do when you do get relegated is, number one, understand that every match is going to be a battle. Every team is go- is coming for you, not because you're, you're Sunderland, not because you're Fulham, not because you're Aston Villa. It's because you're part of the championship and every team believes that they can beat you. It's it's they respect the league. You have to respect the league and understand that they're all in it. They all believe in themselves because they're in the championship. It has more to do with the league than respecting, say, the clubs that are relegated, if that makes any sense. And I think and I feel that that potentially some of these teams, including full, might have taken the the week for granted that oh yeah we're just going to bounce back up and it just doesn't work that way they were not built for it they were not ready for it some teams can go up and down like like north city they're built for it fulham were not there i i can just say in my opinion they were not ready for the challenges that the uh championship gave them and now they are now now they finally figured it out it took a, a few seasons and i think aston villa have figured it out too Sunderland, I believe, will as well. But the question, will they be figuring it out when they're in League One or in the championship? And that's the conundrum that they're facing. You have to respect the league. And that's why I wanted to bring up this topic, James. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It was similar, um, even though it's not the championship, when we got relegated down into League One in 2011. And I'm sure Lewis will agree with me because I think we went down the same year or a year apart from each other that we as Preston fans expected sort of at the time we'd had one or two bad seasons and finished sort of lower half of the championship. Um, But before that, we were one of those teams who'd always been in around the playoffs, similar to Derby now. Um, And, you know, for whatever reason, there were bad decisions on and off the field, which ultimately led to us going down. But we expected straight away league one, you know, we'll win nearly every week, we'll bounce straight back up. And we were down there for, you know, a good three years before we did get it right and finally get promoted back via the playoffs. And I think maybe more so when you come down from the Premier League, because you've got obviously the parachute payments that you mentioned, it's sort of easier to think, you know, we've got the money, we're going to spend it, we're going to go straight back up. And I think what's sort of happened with some teams, um, you know, they spend that money not necessarily on players who are good in the championship but players maybe from the Premier League and that kind of thing who don't have the experience of playing you know the extra games that come with the championship playing sort of most weeks twice a week and you know they really do struggle and I think I've said it before in this podcast Newcastle last season were the perfect example of a club who came down with sort of a strategy in place they cleared out sort of the higher earners and 
didn't bring in sort of the biggest names, but they brought in championship experience, sort of young, hungry players who sort of know the division well. And, you know, look how that worked out for them. They went straight back up. Yep. So I think it's a case of, yeah, as you said, players and fan, you know, a league below will will easily get straight back up. Um, but, you know, there's got to be a right way of going about it. And I think Newcastle over the last few years are the one team that really sort of got it spot on with that. Um, was that sort of a similar sort of feeling when Sheffield United went down to League One, Lewis, about sort of you were expecting to bounce straight back up? Because I know you were down there sort of a year or two longer than us. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to go into the six years of hell too much. <laughs> but, but yeah, we where we're a perfect example going down into the League One of we was a solid championship club, only been in the Premier League um three seasons beforehand and we went down into the League One expecting to bounce straight back up because we had a championship side. On paper we had a good squad. It's just we had bad manager decisions the season in the championship, going through three managers that year. We went down, we thought get a new boss in and we'll bounce straight back up. That obviously didn't happen. We said the season we, well, we practically bottled it at the end of the season, losing our last uh, five out of the last six games when we was second. And obviously our rivals got that second spot. And the rest is history. We had we had four years, and then we finally got with Wilder. But I, like going back to Sunderland and teams such as that, when I think a lot of teams that get but have got relegated in the past. Like teams like Villa, Sunderland, you've got these are these aren't just these are clubs with a lot of money behind them, and you've you've got to strategize your money a lot differently from trying to stay up in the Premier League and having to go up in the Championship. And I think a lot of a lot of clubs have instead instead of turning to these younger and hungry players who have the endeavour to want to go into the Premier League, they're going for like lesser Premier League players, if you will, who maybe haven't haven't played in the Championship for years, but could step up and then they're dropping down a division. And it is so different. It's players, you, are, you see players um, in the Championship who bang in goals for fun and then don't make it in the Premier League because it's such, it's such a different league. You see, the the majority of strikers in Championship clubs that are quite big, gritty, they, they, good at the defensive duties, like to win headers. But in the Premier League, you need to be a bit more agile. You need to have a bit more skill about you if you want to succeed. So it's just like the the difference between leagues for me. And I think, obviously, we're not we're eighth in the league at the minute, and we are pushing pushing for playoffs. But I think Wilder's got his signing spot on for, in the future, us getting promoted to the Premier League. Because instead of going for this, he's like 30, 31-year-olds from the Premier League. He's he's looked at the lower championship players, the top-end League One players who are 20, 21, who, who, have, who want to play in the Premier League. And, and in years' time, they will be in the Premier League, whether that's with us. But it's just all down to how you settle your money. So... Sunderland, I think, have definitely got it wrong and teams like Aston Villa did get it wrong, but they're starting to figure it out slowly but surely. And those teams like Fulham and Aston Villa will, will, I'm sure, will end up in the Premier League either this season or next. 
Yeah, one team who not necessarily have, you know, been a team sort of up at the top half of the table or, you know, been a big team in the Premier League recently, but are in trouble of going down is Barnsley. And, you know, Heckingbottom went to Leeds um, just over a week ago now. Um, they finally found a replacement. Uh, Jose Moraes, I think is how you pronounce it. I have a history on this podcast of butchering names, so apologies <laughs> if that's not how you pronounce it. Um yeah, I just basically wanted to ask you, obviously, he, I think, was Jose Mourinho's assistant. Uh, I can't remember which club it was. So he's got sort of some experience. But with, obviously, the money that they've come into and then them needing sort of a quick turnaround, were any of you sort of surprised that they went for him rather than sort of a more established name who, you know, knows the championship well? Um, or what were your sort of general thoughts when they announced him as the new manager? I think with the appointment, you can look at, in two different ways. You can look at him as kind of, I, would, I don't want to say a failed alone manager, but if you look at his the clubs he's managed, I think he's managed Antalyspor in Turkey and, and just clubs on the same level as that, um, which going into the championship, you, you think, yeah, that's, that's not too impressive. But then you can also look at it as he's been the assistant manager at, Porto, Chelsea, into Milan and a year at Real Madrid under Jose Mourinho, possibly the most successful manager of the past decade. So it, he's, obvious, he's obviously got that good footballing brain which attracted him to Mourinho and if he can put that on his own and use that with a new team, which I presume he has, then it could be a good appointment because you only have to look at a manager like Carranco, who possibly got the Middlesbrough job on the recommendation of Jose Mourinho having been his assistant manager for three years at Real Madrid. And obviously he went on to have a really successful spell. So I, I, I think it's, you can look at it, like I said, you can look at the appointment either way. Barnsley have a relatively strong squad and they, they may um, be going down because I think out of like the teams around Birmingham, Bolton and Hull, they might have the weakest squad out of those. And is 14 games enough time for a new manager to, to come in and revamp the squad and get these results coming? I'm, I'm unsure, but long term, he may, be a, he, may be a, he may be a good appointment, but hopefully we'll, we'll just have to see. Yeah, my opinion on this is similar to Lewis, and I, I think he did a very good job of uh, explaining what I was going to mention I think that if you're looking at it, the talent of Barnsley is not at the level of some of the other teams around them. So if it was me, I would have gone for a, a manager that had championship experience. But it sounds like to me that Barnsley is looking at it for the long term. They're looking at someone that has upside that can take them to the next level if they survive. And I think they're going with the idea that they will survive. So that's why I think they made this appointment they're thinking bigger, which I can admire in one side, but on the other side, at this point, it's about survival. So I don't know if I would have made this pick. I think I would have gone, and I hate to say the name, I would have gone for a Neil Warnock type of manager just to help me survive. That's what I would have done. But um, I give him credit for, for thinking big because I think that's what this is. It's a gamble. It's a big gamble because it, it could cost them big time if they get relegated, you know, to uh, League One. But I think this is 
them gambling on themselves saying, okay, here's a manager that has this pedigree with Jose Mourinho. And if we survive this, then we can move up because then we'll get him the players that he needs. But is he equipped to survive the championship? I don't know. Yeah, I completely agree with you there, Russ. I think it's a massive gamble on their part. Obviously, if it pays off and, you know, he has the summer with the new money to bring in the players that he wants, you know, it's a success. But, you know, as you've both said, sort of at this stage of the season where he's not going to have a lot of time to quickly put his stamp on the team and get results. I think someone who does have sort of a knowledge of the division would have probably, in my opinion, similar to you, Russ, been a, a more sort of safer bet. But, you know, if if you play it safe all the time, you're only going to get so far. So I think sure. definitely I'm going to be keeping an eye on them sort of more so than I would have now um, to see their results over the next sort of few weeks and see if he can have an immediate impact. We do sort of see sort of more often than not when a new manager comes in, they have that little honeymoon period where, especially this stage of the season and the new money's come in, there'll be players looking to impress so they can sort of stay at the club. Um, where they may not necessarily have played well all season, but you know they'll be looking to impress the new manager. So it'd be interesting, actually. I'll see if I can pull it up while we're talking about it to see their sort of fixture running. But I do think that you know it's a massive gamble. Um, but you know, as we've said, if it pays off, it's it's going to be you know one that hopefully they can build on. Um, just actually pulling up their uh, fixtures, their next three games are going to be absolutely massive. They've got. Burton at home on Tuesday night, teaming in and around them. Then they go to Birmingham away on Saturday, a team in and around them. And then the following Tuesday, they go to Hull away. So three massive six-pointers in there for them. If they can get sort of six or seven points out of those three games, that'll go a long way to keeping them up. Um, so in a, in a way, it's good for the new manager having those three games to sort of bed himself in. He's got, you know, his first game... Um, Oh, sorry, not his first game. His, his next game will be at home to Burton, who you'd like to think Burton's struggling as well. They've got a good chance of winning that. And then the next two games are at, you know, teams in and around them. So I think his first three games are going to be crucial now to how he sort of sets the tone for the rest of the season. And if they can come through those games, you know, picking up a few points, I think, you know, they may have just about enough to stay up. Um, but sort of before we go on to sort of covering our games for obviously Tuesday night, I just wanted to first of all send uh, sort of well wishes from everyone at the podcast to Ryan Mason. Obviously, he was in the Absolutely. Premier League at the time when it happened, but obviously been a Hull player. Um, you know, no no one sort of wants to see a, a young player having to retire. And I wanted just to quickly ask you, Russ. Obviously, you follow quite a lot of N- uh, NFL, being American. Sure. And obviously, they've taken concussions over there a lot sort of more seriously now. Obviously, the, the Ryan Mason one wasn't a concussion, but it's sort of a head injury. Right. Do you think that there's things that the English football game can learn from the way they go about sort of things in the NFL? Or are there any sort of sort of bits and pieces that you'd bring over here if, if it was up to you to sort of try and improve it? Well, it's a major topic here. Head injuries and, like you mentioned, concussions. And I'll use... a a local player here that had to retire from concussions, and that was Taylor Twelman, who played for the New England Revolution. Now he's a, a broadcaster, and uh, he's been very open. He's been an advocate about the concussion situation in football in general. And uh, I'm with him on this because we have to remember they're footballers, but they're people first. And uh, the head is something that you don't want to mess with. And the NFL now has this situation of, of course, it's a different game. 
And uh, I've come to the conclusion, with, and it's affected my team here, that uh, if you get a concussion, uh, you need an independent doctor look at you. If they think that you have had one, what happens in the NFL now is that they take you out of the game, the uh, independent doctor looks at you, makes a call, and and uh, I've seen pretty frequently you don't see them back in the game, and that's really the way it should be because you don't want to endanger the player. And it, listen, it happened in the Super Bowl, uh, you know, with a player for the New England Patriots that could have helped them. But I understood why he was out of the game for the rest of the game. Apparently, he had a concussion, and you shouldn't go back in the game because that can be dangerous. So the what I would suggest, and again, this is just my suggestion, in English football, that they really take a look at what the NFL is doing. And uh, I would, again, this is just a suggestion, maybe come up with some kind of solution where you have an, have an extra player available for a head, a head injury that instead of having three subs, you actually have one additional sub for situations like this because you don't want a player going right back into the game. And uh, I think that's something that they really need to look at because, like I mentioned earlier, these are people. They're going to want to go back in the game. That's why I say the doctor cannot be or the physio cannot be from the club. It has to be independent because they're going to give you you know, the, uh, the proper diagnosis, because again, nothing against the physios with the club. They want to get the player, you know, obviously the player wants to go back in and there could be some bias there because they want the player to play. So that's why I think if you're going to do this, you have to have an independent physician that's going to be able to analyze and recognize that this person has a head injury and should not go back in the game. But I think it's something that they really need to look into. Yeah, definitely. There was a situation actually with Preston at the weekend where Daniel Johnson went to sort of close down a clearance from the Wolves right back and sort of took the ball square in the face. Um, he went down, the physio sort of checked him on the pitch, you know, the the typical English sort of spray a bit of water on him or, yeah. you know, a bit of water in his face, uh, goes to the touchline and then comes back on. But sort of because I had this topic planned before the game, I was sort of keeping an eye on him then. And sort of for the next, you know, three or four minutes, he didn't look with it at all and then ended up actually coming off. And, you know, the the physio should have been able to see that, um, you know, that he wasn't right to go back on and needed to come off. So I think definitely there needs to be some sort of independent physio who's not linked to sort of either team, you know, who yeah. can sort of have a look at them on the side and give them James, a proper let me examination. Stress that, that nothing against the press and North End physio or definitely, any physio yeah. for any team. It's not about them. It's just that they're trying to do their job. That's why exactly. you want to take that away from them so they don't have to make that tough decision. Let someone independent who doesn't have a stake in, in either team come on and and just look at the player. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with you there. And I think that would be one way to sort of go about it. Um, what would be your sort of view on that, Lewis? Yeah, um, yeah, I, to- I totally agree with what you're both saying on it. I, I just think it's a, it's, a really, um, it's a really hard topic to talk about, especially with football. Because obviously the Ryan Mason injury um, was linked with a head clash. But I don't know if you both saw it, but the... Um, Alan Shearer did a documentary um, a couple uh, months back on 
are now heading the ball and can link to concussions and brain damage in the future. Yeah, saw that, yeah. Yeah, and that kind of like, that makes that makes you think whether like, obviously heading head the ball, it's a, it's a massive part of football. And I just thought that was quite, that was quite relevant to um to head injuries in in football because heading such a big part, and if it was found that that did have a major link to head injuries, then what like precautions could we take to prevent that? Obviously, you've got um, players like um, Chivu who used to play for Inter Milan who had um, had problems with his skull and he wore uh, he wore the protective helmet. Um, but how how like how much does that help? And we won't really find out if that did it did help him in the future. So I think it's it, I think it's tough because especially you can't just take away heading out of football. Surely not. Um, with being such a big part, um, so I, I'm not I'm not really sure how they could control it. But yeah, definitely I, I definitely agree with having the independent um, physio and and maybe bringing in like. Like you said, having to be able to have that extra sub. Yeah. So then, if they if they influence that, then maybe they wouldn't be the need to have an independent um, physio because then the physio would be like, would wouldn't need to be like, yeah, my player, I can see my player's injured. I we don't have to risk him. We we've got that we've got that backup, and we can put someone else on, and it's not really affecting the game as much. Yeah, definitely. I think sort of just as you were talking about it, um, a great example would be how they use sort of the blood sub in rugby. So if someone's got sort of a blood injury where they need to come off and, you know, change their shirt or something like that, or just get patched up, they're allowed to bring a sub on who literally comes on until the player's ready to return. And then if he is ready to return, that sub goes off and it, it doesn't count as a substitution used. It basically just ensures that there's, you know, still 15 against 15 while someone is getting patched up or looked at. So maybe, again, something like that, like you said, Russ, could uh, could definitely help. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of a topic that there's sort of no real right or wrong in the sense that, you know, it comes down to opinions and sort of how people want to police it, that kind of thing. So it's always a good sort of discussion to have. Um, but moving on to, obviously, there's midweek games this week, so we'll sort of preview those. We'll start with you, Russ. Obviously, Fulham got a difficult test away at Bristol. It's Absolutely. one of the first sort of real six-pointers now as we get into the business end of the season. You sort of level on points or sort of separated by a point or two. Personally, with us going to Villa, I hope that you win because I don't think we'll catch you. But <laughs> Villa, uh, sorry, Bristol are the team in the playoff closest right. to us at the moment. So, how do you see the game going, and what would be your sort of prediction for scores? Well, this is difficult because uh, Bristol City have been the last few seasons Fulham's bogey side. For whatever reason, Lee Johnson sets up his team very well to play against Fulham, especially at Craven Cottage. They've been extremely difficult for Fulham to play against. Uh, Ashton Gate, we did we did decent last time. I believe we won the match last season. So it's an interesting situation. I Believe it or not, I think having that extra day for Fulham is going to be a benefit for them because Bristol City played today. And the result did not go their way. The fact that they gave up two late goals could hurt them psychologically. And it also tells me that maybe, just maybe, and I haven't watched enough Bristol City to know this, but maybe they have this uh, issue with fading in matches. And if they do, with a team that possesses the ball like Fulham, that could play into our hands. But uh, this is going to be an extremely difficult match for Fulham because of 
the opponent knows Fulham very well, knows how to play against them. So this is going to come down to the players executing whatever game plan Savisa has, and it usually is just, you know, keep the ball and uh, try to be as clinical as possible. But this team knows how to offset what Fulham wants to do. And uh, so it's going to be a chess match. And um, if it comes down to late in the match, I do like Fulham's chances. But this isn't going to be easy at all for Fulham. This is the one that really scares me just as much as the upcoming match against Wolves because I know that this opponent knows Fulham very well. So it's going to be difficult. I think that we can get a result of from it. I think we can win it, but it certainly is not going to be easy. Yeah, definitely. Just to quickly point out, I don't know if you knew, their last two games, they've given away five goals after the 70th minute, which has oh. cost them four points, basically. Well, there you go. They've thrown away, yeah. Uh, against Sunderland, they gave away the three goals in the last 20 minutes. And then against Leeds today, they gave away the, the two goals in the last 18 minutes. So definitely, if they're going to well, fade that's not off, good for them. <laughs> you're, that's good you're for probably the, the last team that you want to be playing, yeah. Um, so no doubt Ryan Sessignon will probably get another, and I'll have to <laughs> find myself talking about him again next week. <laughs> um, but to go on to you, Lewis, you've got a sort of a tricky-looking home game. Uh, QPR are sort of one of those teams who can be you know, great on the day or a bit hit and miss. How do you sort of see the game going, and what would be your sort of prediction for, uh, for the result? Yeah, so um, just looking at the game straight on, it's uh, with how our season's going now, this is a must-win three-pointer especially when the two teams, which I think it'll be us, you and Bristol, who's going to be fighting for that sixth spot and that last um, playoff spot, in my opinion, anyway. And with you having such a hard game against Villa, Bristol having such a hard game against Fulham, we need to be picking up those points when you're potentially dropping them. And especially when our last two games of the season are Preston and Bristol. Wow. We need to be picking up our points now. So then when it comes to those last two games of the season, hopefully we've already secured a playoff spot. But look, just looking at QPR, it's definitely going to be a tough game for us. The reverse fixture, we did lose 1-0. But I went to the game and we dominated thoroughly. We just It was a classic Sheffield United performance. We had like 50%, um, 55% of the possession, had 15 to 20 attempts at goal and just couldn't finish our dinner. And they ended up getting a goal with Jamal Blackman coming in for a catch, dropping the ball and it just falls to just a siller. So if, as long as nothing like that happens, I think we're in good, in good contention um, for a win. It's only, we've only got Kieran Freeman possibly out injured, but he may be back, which is the first time all season where we've not had about five to six players injured. But then the only disappointment is John Fleck has got the one-match suspension for this following um, his um, accumulation of 10 yellow cards. Um, so we've got, a, we've got a large squad, and it should be David Brooks's first league game back, whether he starts the game or comes off the bench. He's going to be a massive help for us if we want to get playoffs because from like the eight or nine games we've had without him, we've, we have seen a dip in form. And I think he just brings something to our squad that we don't have. We don't really have that player that has the intensity to just run at a back four. It's not the most clinical inside the box, but 
his ability to run at defenders is next to none. So hopefully we can have a good performance and pick up the three points, which we desperately need. Yeah, and to move on to Preston's game, we've got a really difficult game at Aston Villa. Um, I'll be making the sort of the trip down there, um, and you know it's it's going to be a real sort of difficult one for us. Villa, you know, in great form, although they had sort of the, the result against Fulham at the weekend, which we've covered. I still expect them to you know come out flying there in sort of their position in the league uh, at third. You know, for a reason, they've been fantastic. Uh, for the last few months now really hardly dropped any points and it's going to be a real difficult one for us sort of the the last couple of games at Brentford and, and against Wolves have really sort of given me belief that you know the better teams in the league we can compete with them and that we are fully deserving of of our place so if I was to go for a, a prediction I think we could as we seem to be the league's draw specialist this season potentially come away with a draw even though I'd prefer us to you know be picking up the wins at this stage of the season but if we can come out of the Brentford Wolves and Villa you know back-to-back games without losing you know it's fantastic for us and then the fixture list does get a little easier then until we have that sort of another three-game period where we play everyone that's in the playoffs so if I was to to go for a result I'd say if Grealish and Adoma are still out for them, I think we can get a draw, so potentially a one-all. Um, but it's going to be a very difficult game, and it's going to be sort of very tight. Um, I know just before we wanted to sort of wrap up, you had a question, Russ, for, for Lewis, so I do. take it away. Absolutely. Lewis, uh, I have a question for you, because right before our clubs played, uh, you had a major injury, a player go out, Paul Coots. And yeah. before that, your team was flying. Did it yeah. come down to his injury that affected the rest of your season? Because I'm I'm curious because, for one, I like your club. I like how they play football. But I'm curious how much of a miss he has been. This is actually a really good point. Um, and I've recently wrote an article on this. Paul Cook, before we played you, we had the best defensive record in the league. I think we'd only scored, uh, we'd only conceded two goals at home. And then... You came to the lane and we conceded five in one game. Right. So that kind of that kind of hit us, and I think that hit us bang when we just lost Paul Coots, who James will know. Um, I was raving about for the beginning of the season, saying he was our best player and the best player in the league. So yes, I do think that's been a massive loss, and I think it's hit the it hit the squad morale. And we, I don't think we want we won a game for like the next eight or nine games after that. Wow! But strangely enough, we replaced him with John Lundstrom, a, a young midfielder who we got from Oxford. And I, I personally, I really liked him, and I think he has brought things to our squad what Paul Cooks hasn't got. So I looked into it and and compared their stats, and obviously stats is only the stuff on paper, not on sure. the pitch, but. Passes per game, John Lundstrom averaged uh, more passes per game than what Paul Coots did. He created more chances per game and got two goals and three assists where Paul Coots only got one goal. So he definitely added something what Paul Coots didn't have, but on the pitch we didn't see the results. So it's quite it's quite a strange one to look at because the stats showed that John Lundstrom actually was better if... if on passes yeah. per game, which a midfielder should be doing. 
Um, but obviously the results didn't come. And now uh, from January, we've brought in Lee Evans and Ryan Leonard, who are keeping John Lundstrom out of the team and the results are starting to come back in. So, yeah, I do think it was a massive loss and I'm really looking forward to Paul Coops coming back, whether it will be to the end of the season or next season. He's definitely a crucial player, but yeah. Yeah, and uh, with that, we we are out of time now. So if you two want to let everyone know where they can find you and sort of any projects that you're involved in, that would be a good time. Yeah, so um, I'm Lewis Hobbs and I've represented Sheffield United on the podcast and you can follow me on Twitter at, at underscore LH9 underscore. And I am Russ Golden, host of Cottage Talk, a podcast about phone football club. And you can follow me on Twitter, Russ underscore Goldman, or at the Twitter account for the show, which is Cottage Talk. Yeah, and as I said at the start, I'm James Vickers. I'm a Preston North End fan. You can follow me on my Twitter, which is at underscore James Vickers. And you can also follow the show, which our Twitter page for the show is at Championship Pod, where there's loads of weekly things to get involved in, such as polls and and votes and that kind of thing. Obviously, the link to each episode will go out there as well. So definitely check that out and give the uh, the, the page a follow. Um, cheers for joining me today, guys. It's been a pleasure to have you on as always. And uh, hopefully all the results sort of go our way over the next uh, sort of couple of weeks until we get you on again. But yeah, cheers for joining us and we'll see you later. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.